the Ghost Goal Podcast. I hate to be basic, but the only way to say it is that Ole is no longer at the wheel. After a 4-1 drubbing at Vicarage Road to Watford on Saturday, Manchester United decided later on Saturday evening to fire Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after a porous run of results. All this occurred a week before their big matchup with Chelsea this weekend at Stamford Bridge, while Chelsea's form has ramped up a notch in the past week or so. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to episode 331 of the Ghost Goal Podcast. There's all that and much, much more to preview this weekend, Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you guys are having a great Thanksgiving uh, week. Uh, hope all your travels are safe and family and friends are all uh, healthy and and doing well. So, Javier? Happy, happy Thanksgiving. <coughs> happy uh, Cultural Appropriation Day from the Goal Goal Podcast here. You know? <laughs> this is Remember? Cultural Appropriation Day? Thanksgiving is, yes. What, what about like uh, Cinco de Mayo or, uh, you know, like St. Patrick's Day? Like, seems to be a lot of cultural mm. appropriation going on there. And we don't have a problem no, with it. No, but but Thanksgiving was the uh, the one where we, we we just assimilated with the Indians and, and made them all of our friends. and, and Oh, no, that's, that's Columbus Day. We celebrate gifts. that. Oh, yes. That one as well. <laughs> Colonizers Day. Right. Right. Well, you, you can hang in there and wait for our political podcast, but uh, you're never going to get it. No, um, no. <laughs> It yeah, might come I, out one day. You never know, actually. No, that's never coming out. <laughs> all, all of this to say is uh, Premier League after Thanksgiving Day, uh, you know, Thanksgiving weekend. I'm excited. You know, there's one or two big, big matchups. Along with that Chelsea-Manchester United matchup, there is a Manchester City-West Ham matchup earlier on the, the Sunday morning. Uh, one or two decent games. I know, Javier, you'll be looking at the Arsenal-Newcastle game to start things out on Saturday morning. Uh, as well as a Liverpool home date with Southampton. So that still brings us right back to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's uh, firing on Saturday night. That was very nice of you, by the way, Alex. Not even mentioning that we got destroyed 4-0 by Liverpool so far. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. I mean, you're not the biggest storyline. Yeah, but that was just... Arsenal losing big at Anfield isn't a storyline. That happens every year. That's just like regular, (laughs) right. Jesus, just... You're the only not, one who's not excited to go to Anfield ever again. <laughs> Fuck that place. But, but, but still, I but love yes, how you're, you're right. the one. You're the one saying thank you for not bringing it up, and yet you bring it up. Uh, I have to, to bring it up because I'm sure everyone listening is like, "What the fuck, Alex? You're going too easy." You're on letting him. Javier get away with that. Exactly. Yeah. You should have shit on well, him some, and the that's fine. I'll self shitting on myself. The reason I'm letting you get away with it is because you know the the final nail has been put in the coffin of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's managerial career at Manchester United. We both speculated it was probably never going to happen unless it became like mathematically impossible for them to qualify for top four in Champions League qualification. What what, what a what a pyrrhic but, victory! Them beating Tottenham three nil ended up being just th- like imagine if they had just let Tottenham win that game. Like just like they just let Watford win the game, if no, they had just okay, done the same the thing. That's not the answer at all. The God answer Antonio is Conte. why didn't they just fire him after Liverpool? That was a far more right. embarrassing result right. at home to your biggest rivals. Yeah. Instead, now you you know fire him almost a month later with the international break. Yeah, maybe he held on for a couple of decent Champions League results. Uh, you know, thanks to Ronaldo more than anything. But now you're left here with Michael Carrick as the interim manager who. Obviously got a, a decent result today at uh, Villarreal to win 2-0 in his uh, interim or caretaker like debut. 
But still, you had the chance at Antonio Conte. Now there's a whole host of names that it's kind of hard to get a a read on who exactly is the most realistic to take over. But all the same, we still need to hit on a little bit. What exactly went wrong for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer this season? Because he'd obviously finished second with them last season. He'd progressively improved. The, the Maybe the Europa League final was the the biggest stain on his record. But other fans all agreed that with the money that was spent in the summer, plus the money they'd already spent in the squad and the, the amount of talent they'd had before that, that summer spending spree, the Manchester United's target should be to at least be in the title race discussion. Like you, I, don't, I, I don't fault people for saying I don't trust them to win the title. I, I agree with that. But they, sh- they needed to at least still be hanging on in the discussion. And they're so far off it at this point. That like, what, what do you think exactly went wrong for uh, Solskjaer to for it to fall this off this much off a cliff this early? Well, I mean, I've said in the past on the pod that I thought Solskjaer had taken the team as far as he could. So I think to a certain extent, that's that's. So it was never realistic. Yes, but at the same time, I think it's unfair to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, so while I have criticized him a lot on the pod, I think specifically for this season and why it went wrong, I think you have to look at the the Ronaldo signing on the last day of the season. I mean, that was just completely not in the plans. I mean, I think he, he the big signing of the, of the summer was supposed to be Jadon Sancho, and I'm pretty sure they were supposed to play a more fluid front line with occasionally Cavani coming in there, but more of you know Rashford, Martial, or or Sancho playing as like a center forward. And, and all three of those playing up top, similar to what they did today against uh, Villarreal, actually. But, I mean, they played Ronaldo as well. But, you know, I think get, getting him the last day of the season probably threw a lot of things into whack. And, you know, people were saying, oh, they got Ronaldo and, and now they're going to be title contenders. I mean, for me, it was the opposite. I think it made them worse. I think it threw the team off in terms of balance um, and tactically as well i mean it just made it created more problems than it gave than it gave solutions so in my opinion the next manager that comes in is going to have the exact same problem and i think that while cristiano ronaldo's on that manchester united team they're not going to achieve anything maybe they'll win an fa cup but who cares for manchester united so that seems like too easy of an excuse because if if you ask the question of anyone before the Ronaldo signing and after it, like are Manchester United closer to winning the title with him? I think most people would say that Manchester United were closer to the title once they signed him. But there's there's a huge caveat with that, which you know maybe yeah. But I think those may, maybe maybe you wrong. disagree on like whether this caveat was ever realistic or not. But Solskjaer needed to accept Ronaldo for what he is right now. And again, this is not a criticism of Ronaldo. But you bring in Ronaldo to fix that one glaring weakness that Manchester United sides have had, not just during Ole's tenure, but Mourinho, Van Gaal, all these these past couple of managers who've come in, none of them have been able to figure out how do United consistently win those games against the smaller teams or even the mid-table teams with a little bit more talent that like to sit deep and leave zero space for them to counter into. We know that they're absolutely electric and have all the some of the quickest and most uh, deadly players on the counterattack to take advantage of you in, in big games. They've proven that. But Ronaldo was the battering ram of sorts with obviously more talent and, you know, not stylistically much of a battering ram, but he's someone that you can just loft the ball up to in in certain situations in those games and he'll he'll win you the game or get a last minute goal like he's been doing. 
they've brought in Ronaldo and they've treated him like he has to play every single game. When stylistically, that's 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 not the best way to approach things. They he need Ole generally just needed to be a little bit more like tactically astute, and he needed to have more balls to say to Ronaldo, "Listen, you're not going to start every single game, but I can guarantee that like." against all of like this team, this team and this team. And like, you know, if we have injuries, maybe I'll start you against Manchester city, but he didn't have the, the guts to do that. And yeah, I think that's what's led to uh, led somewhat partially to the downfall because but you I can't think, just again, ignore I think he how much we've criticized tied. the lack of midfield signings. They don't have a midfield. And, I, and I think it was the type of thing where like similar to Arsenal when he, they signed William, I'm I'm a hundred percent sure there's a provision in his contract where Ronaldo only agreed to come to Manchester United at the last second like that because he was guaranteed a certain amount of playtime. Like they probably said you were going to start thirty games in the league or some something like that. I'm just making that number up, but you know, similar to William, while it was unexplainable how that dude kept playing every game, it's because there was a provision some of some sort that said he had to play an X amount of games. So Arteta had to play an X amount of games and. Again, this is why I think it, it tied Ole's hands tactically. And, you know, of course, at the beginning, it gave them a small boost. Like, Ronaldo scored a few goals, and it looked like everything was going to be smooth. But you could easily tell at the beginning that there were cracks in the in the game plan. And it's just, it's right, falling but, apart. It's falling apart But that's apart what makes completely. me think, like, why would you just ignore the, the midfield issue? That we, even without Ronaldo, with Cavani starting most games up top... They, they still would have a huge issue with controlling games. And uh, I don't think, whether or not Ronaldo, I, I think they may have just ended up in the same place, but maybe a little bit earlier. No, because because in my opinion, the team that Manchester United were last season and would have been this season would be Bruno Fernandez's team. This is not Bruno Fernandez's team anymore. This is Cristiano Ronaldo's team. And we've seen that. Bruno Fernandez has, what, one assist in the Premier League and zero goals? I mean, this That's is a dude. just blatantly not true. He scored a oh. hat trick on the opening day. <laughs> three goals then. He also sets up Ronaldo like or, or consistently. Three goals and one assist. Yeah, he, he has like no. He, no, no. He, he definitely has. Okay, he has a very good relationship with Ronaldo. I'd argue the 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 entity that this uh, the Ronaldo signing has benefited the most has been Portugal because their biggest issue was trying to figure out how to play Ronaldo and Bruno together, and now they've like struck up this like very good partnership. It's just all of like the defensive work around those two attacking players that Ole never really figured out. And I don't think sacking a manager, I mean, maybe they'll get a boost from it like right away, just from the players themselves uh, having to pick up their work rate and energy levels to impress Michael Carrick, the current like interim caretaker okay, so manager and whoever they bring in next. Sorry, so but, I looked it up. So it's it's four goals and three assists in 17 games in all competitions. This year. Sorry, 18 games in all competitions. So four goals and three assists, like for a yeah, player that, that, that as good as it's Bruno. It's not bad, but it's also it's also off his pace of you know right. the last, last two season, seasons. Last season he United. had he had you know eighteen goals and twelve assists just in the league. I mean, again, this was his team. He ha- he had you know, a bunch of the chances. The play would well, go through him. He here's took another the penalties. Thing, Javier. I know another he still thing takes that the needs to be mentioned for Bruno yeah. is that a lot of his goals came from penalties. I'm not saying he's a pen merchant, but a lot of his goals came from penalties, and they've uh, cracked down on what constitutes a penalty this year. So it's they're not they're not getting as many penalties as they did in past years, and the same goes for Liverpool and other teams that usually got a few more calls than that. They're not giving the soft ones as often anymore. So I mean that's another factor to take into account. 
but in any case, I, yeah, I can understand why you would think like the Ronaldo signing had some influence on it, but I just think they would have reached the same spot even if they didn't uh, sign Ronaldo. They just would have reached it earlier because Ronaldo has been bailing them out of all of these terrible results, like especially in the Champions League. Yeah, like but I the, think I think if they didn't have Ronaldo in the team, there'd be other players who get the, all of the chances in the game. Like, do you do you like? It's the concept that like. You know, in no, basketball, no, I, I in you basketball mean, you're Kavani the main player who gets game. all the shots on the team. So, like, if you're a team that has Russell Westbrook as their main player who gets all of the shots, you know, just going to a quick basketball analogy, then, like, much how, like, the Wizards were last year, then, yeah, sometimes you're going to win games off sheer talent, and he's going to have incredible stats. But, like, a bunch the of these games you're going to lose suffer. because, exactly. And I think that's what's happening to Manchester United. The team is going to suffer. I understand that he Ronaldo's doing the job. What would you say to the midfield thing then? Do you, do you really not think that like the midfield I thing do, would still do, be I don't an think issue? that there's any midfield unless they got someone like Ingolo Conte in the, into their team. I don't know who could, who they would be able to bring in right now that could solve their problems just like instantly and make Ronaldo like a they need Declan they Rice. would need they would need yeah they exactly but they would need some incredible exorbitant amount of money to be spent on a midfielder and to have Cristiano Ronaldo to make that like into like a title winning type push but i think that they're so far off that like a player like Declan Rice is never going to want to go to Manchester United they're just too far wait they they they're i mean they they have a caretaker caretaker manager so right because they're they're interested in hiring a, a an interim manager just for the rest of the season they're not looking right sounds now like to get it's a manager that they Bruce just, to like just take care till the end of the season which yeah no screw that they should not oof. do that that's why uh, that's why Chelsea always has goose hitting yeah, on goose speed dial if, if saying, anything ever really goes wrong. So uh, yeah, okay, that's a, that's enough about Ole. It was an interesting run with him, but we uh, we all kind of knew he had he had sort of taken them to the end of the road or as far as he could possibly take them. So th- that obviously leads us to this uh, the, the the prime time game of this weekend: Chelsea hosting Manchester United. It has to be said Sunday. though, class act. He like he he posted a video explaining basically everything that happened and why he left and being like you know I don't know the exit interview thing that was cringy. You think so? I don't know. Just just leave. Like you look yeah. You look too desperate. Like Frank didn't even do an exit interview from Chelsea. (laughs) Yeah, but Ole was there for three years. Yeah, Frank was there for a year and a half. Right, double what he's our like greatest ever player. (laughs) All right, give him a break, man. Give him a break. He did he did a pretty good job for his first like ever big job. So. I think he'll he'll have suitors after this. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but that obviously brings us to this Chelsea Man United game Sunday at eleven thirty a.m. The only thing that uh, scares me a little is the the thing that I just mentioned, where any team in the Premier League, when when they fire their manager, regardless of whether they have a unknown guy operating as caretaker, like uh, I think last season or maybe the season before, Chelsea went to Goodison Park and lost to Everton right after they. They'd fired someone and Duncan Ferguson was the manager and they beat us like that shit happens all the time. Teams just like rise up because they know that they either either have to impress this interim manager who's currently in the job or they have to impress the prospective manager who may take the job soon. So that uh, that gives me a level of concern. But on the other hand, I haven't seen like a proper good Manchester United performance for a while now. I haven't felt scared of them for a while now. So. Even with our own injuries, uh, it looks like uh, N'Golo Kante will probably be out. Uh, we, we don't really know this. This just happened today during the Champions League, so we haven't gotten the usual you know, medical breakdown yet online. 
Uh, but Ben Chilwell will probably be out as well, our, our left wing back who's been playing really, really well. But I still think that just leads to a like a 2-0 Chelsea win. Maybe Ronaldo scores to, to make it 2-1. Like if, like if anyone's going to score against our defense in the, in the league, it'd probably be Ronaldo on a set piece or something. But otherwise, I just think we, we've got too much for them with our press. Uh, and even if I think Chelsea just completely suffocate them and outwork them, I think you guys can beat them like four one. I think Lukaku and Werner both were back on the bench in the Champions League. I think one of them starts and both of them, you know, make it off the bench for sure. You guys are going to have a lot of attacking options. You know, there was a lot of players rested as well today. Like I think Chalaba started along with Rudiger and was it Christensen? Uh, but, Thiago Silva. Oh, Thiago Silva. But yeah, but you know, you have a bunch of players you guys didn't play who could easily play against Manchester United, like Christensen, um, like Aspiliqueta. Just Brees James is unbelievable right now. Like, I don't know what they're going to do. You think Luke Shaw is going to be able to stop Brees James? I mean, it's just, there's. <laughs> Reese James is just literally unfair right and now. And the problem is, is United still are going to have to trot out that Fred McTominay midfield and. I just Ooh, don't yum, see how yum, they yum, can yum, yum. how they can shackle down the 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 fluid like slew of attacking players that Chelsea have right now. I mean, they played Christian Pulisic today up at you know center forward. Callum Hudson Odoi is playing very well. Loftus Cheeks back in the team. Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, like I said, Werner Lukaku. I mean, it's just Kai like Havertz the, the, had uh, muscle tightness for that four nil win against Juventus today, so he didn't he wasn't available. But he's been playing really well uh, since Lukaku and Werner have been out. I wouldn't be surprised to if he's healthy. Obviously, if that was just like a one-game thing to rest him. If you if the, Tuchel started Kai Havertz as the center forward again, just because. Uh, but before that Lukaku injury, that was something that Chelsea were really struggling to come to terms with. That as a team, our our entire press from you know front line all the way to the back was it was definitely suffering. Because Lukaku is obviously just not as mobile or or willing to press as much as someone like High Havertz does, and uh, I mean, it's, I'm not saying we're, we won't be able to figure it out. Like there are definitely solutions there to to make up for it. But just since Lukaku hasn't had any minutes, he, like you said, he was just available on the bench today, but didn't come on, uh, so he hasn't he hasn't played at all. I wouldn't be surprised if Lukaku was on the bench again. Maybe you see Werner play as one of the the, the wide forwards. But more than likely, it's Hudson Odoi keeping his place, and then either uh, Mason Mount or Christian Pulisic as the the other like wing player in the forward three, along with Havertz centrally. Th- those three, plus a midfield of uh, Jorginho and hopefully Kante, but I- I'll probably just assume it's going to be Ruben Loftus Cheek since Kante and Kovacic will probably be, probably be out. That midfield and whoever we decide to put in our back three. I agree with you. We should, like, on, on the balance of play, I do think we're going to tear them apart, but I think we'll miss enough chances that it will only end, like, 2-0 or something. Uh, what, what's your score prediction going to be? you going to stick with 4-1? Yeah, I'm going to say 4-1, Chelsea. Okay. I won't, you won't hear me arguing about that. Which, by the way, I don't really want that to happen because I feel like they'll fire Carrick and get someone decent in to, to They're, like, they're going to do that the anyway. They're going to do that anyway. But, but um, there's no, there's no one decent available, Javier. They play Arsenal three days later. Come on, keep them there. Keep them in. They probably won't have a new manager by by then anyway, because there's no one available, and they're only looking for someone to take over to the end of the season, which disqualifies most of like the better managers anyway. So you'll be fine, Javier. Don't worry about it. 
remember all of their all of their biggest losses have come at Old Trafford. It's the away games that uh, you have to people have to worry about with with United. Oh, speaking of speaking of that uh, that four one loss against Watford, Alex. I think that was the first time United have lost away from home because they went unbeaten last season, and I don't believe they had lost yet away from home this season. So I think that's their you know away streak over, their away uh, unbeaten streak. Just something to note. No, they lost at Leicester four two a few weeks ago. Got it. Okay, so that that had been over a while ago. Yeah, they've been they've been shit for a minute. <laughs> yeah, they've been bad for for a while now. I completely forgot about that four two at, at Leicester. Yeah, there's been a lot of bad just, results. Just can't keep track of the four and five uh, goal uh, defeats that they've suffered. Yeah, let's uh, let's rewind back to the seven thirty a.m. game to start things off on Saturday morning. Uh, you guys, Arsenal, are going to be hosting Newcastle United, a Newcastle United team that got a 3-3 draw with uh, Brentford. It was a home home 3-3 draw against Brentford uh, last weekend in, yeah, I guess it was the, the first game. Are we counting it as the first game of the Eddie Howe era? He had his assistant take the take the game because he was he was he was uh, diagnosed with uh or got, or got COVID the, the night before the game, literally it's, Friday night, it, the news it, dropped. It did kind of seem like it because I went back and watched the extended highlights and Newcastle were very good. I mean, they, I know they were at home, but they played much more attacking than they were ever were under Steve Bruce or Benitez, really. And it looked just kind of like, I, I don't know how, but it did look more like a, a, an Eddie Howe team. And I, I'm sure with the more that weeks pass, it'll, you know, they'll get better at, at, at the attacking movements and the things that Eddie Howe likes to do. So, so I, I, I think that this has it. already been the case for Newcastle this season. They lost the first game of the season 4-2 after going up against West Ham. They drew Southampton 2-2. They uh, lost to Spurs 3-2. And uh, yeah, that brings us to the Brentford game, three three. So I mean, so yeah, they, they, there's a lot of goals an, in, in between. It's an them. issue that Rafa Benitez brought up years ago when he was manager there, where he said it's like the the tiny blanket analogy, where it's a blanket that's just big enough to cover cover one of your your legs or your upper body, but it can't cover both. So if you pull it up, it's going to cover your upper body, but your feet are going to be cold. And if you put it, pull it down, your upper body is going to be cold, but your feet will be nice and toasty. And he just compared that to choosing whether to have his team attack more or defend more. Like whichever one he does, the other side of the game was going to be, uh, you're going to give up something in the other side of the game. So if Newcastle want to score two or three goals, they're going to open themselves up to, to let even, even teams like Brentford, who, you know, are a decent side. But if you're giving up three goals at home to Brentford, that's... For sure, not a good thing, especially when you haven't won a game yet this season or Newcastle are now sitting rock bottom. So it's all good to say, yeah, Newcastle look better. They're attacking. But if Newcastle approach the game at the Emirates against you guys like that, I doubt they'll score three. Maybe they score once and you guys will score three or four. So I think I'm going to say 3-1 Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, that's Pretty what I, I was going to say too. I mean, uh, the Liverpool game was... It was it was pretty tragic. The first half, I thought Arsenal played decently, especially in the first thirty minutes. I mean, we mostly contained them. They started getting more chances at the, in the last fifteen minutes of the first half, and Ramsdale made like three really good saves to to only keep it at one nil because you know it was kind of always coming. We knew we were going to concede at Anfield, but 
Then to start the second half, uh, Sambi and Nuno Tavares, who ended up giving giving away the ball for the goal. I mean, both of them just Sambi gave away the ball like four times in a row from like the forty fifth to the fiftieth minute, and each one of those times he gave the ball away, either Salah or like Yalta got in and like a Gabriel to make a last minute block or Ramsdale made a save, and it was just like it co- it created complete chaos and a nervousness around the team in possession that we just didn't have at all in the first half. So like do, do you know like when when it when like players make mistakes like that it's it, it's infectious. It just makes the other players around them all start Especially to like at second Anfield. guess. Panic spreads right. more at Anfield than uh, And Liverpool than sensed it. Liverpool were like, "Oh my god, like the the well, yeah, the Arsenal young players, their right. Is, their plan is to create chaos and panic. They were having you guys, they were funneling you guys into the middle of the field and if they did uh, get beaten and you guys started to progress the ball out wide, preferably they wanted to funnel you guys towards the left because they knew you had the, you know, the more inexperienced option in Tavares out there. I think it's understandable for Tavares to, the mistake was really bad, but you can kind of forgive him yeah, for but it. it. He's was, been again, good enough in the, other games. Yeah, he's been good. It was the first time he'd ever played at, and also, at Anfield. I don't know if like, if you started Tierney, Kieran Tierney instead of him, I, I don't know if that changes the result. Maybe it's, you know, 2-0 instead of 4-0, but you guys probably still lose. Um, do, do you think that's like such a harrowing experience for Tavares that the, 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 you guys need to bring Tierney back in to just sort of give Tavares a break? Or do you think you just throw him right back in there after the the sort of poor performance and just let him just forget yeah, about I, it? I mean, I would like I would like Tierney to play put him back in the team and, and see how he does because you know he's gotten a good good rest of games and he should still be our starter so he was our best player arguably last season so um you know when fit he should be he should be playing for us and he like you said he might have made a small difference I don't think we would have gotten a result or anything but like you said it might have been might have been less of a whooping and uh yeah I mean I didn't realize also Liverpool are 53 games unbeaten with Van Dyke at Anfield. They've never lost. Right, uh, yeah. Van when Dyke's Van Dyke has played at Anfield. So that was a uh, stat I did not know. And uh, well, that's why you that predicted a 1 1, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and I mean, in, in another universe, it could have happened. But I don't think this will, this will take too much confidence away from us, especially because we did play well in the first half. So I think it. it, it it was inexperience in a young team, and these results are going to happen. We just got to bounce back well. And I'm going to say 3-1 Arsenal. Okay, that'll bring us to the 10 a.m. Uh, time slot of games on uh, Saturday. Crystal Palace are going to host Aston Villa. Uh, that's an interesting one, just because it's uh, two Premier League legends of our youth, Javier. Uh, Patrick Vieira of Crystal Palace and Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa now that are going to be getting- uh, facing off in the dugout. Yeah, Jared, Jared got a win. win in his first. Yeah, yeah. His first one two game. one or two nil against uh, Brighton at home in his first game as Aston Villa manager. And they were Left it a bit good. late, but they they look like an exciting attacking team, and so do Crystal Palace. So that one should have plenty of goals. The aforementioned uh, Liverpool team that just beat Javier's Arsenal four nil uh, last weekend at Anfield. They will host Southampton this weekend. Uh, they have a home game with Porto in the Champions League uh, tomorrow. When you're probably already listening to this. But they kind of swept aside Porto in the, the first game of the Champions League uh, away. I think it was something like 4 or 5 nil. Salah scored a bunch of goals. So they should be able to handle them, and Liverpool are already qualified. So they should be nice and fresh for the Southampton home game. 
Uh, but do we think there's any chance of a slip up, even a, another draw like the Brighton one? The, the Southampton. No, I mean Southampton uh, just lost to Norwich two one. So well, yeah, Norwich are a, Norwich, a team uh, reborn. Javier, Dean yes, Smith, Billy Dean Gilmore, Smith man of the match, Billy Gilmore. I don't want to get into that. I just I just wanted to raise the the fact that we said something similar when Southampton went to Manchester City earlier in the season. Pookie's having a party. Scored a nil nil draw. What's that? I said Pookie scored in back to back games. He's having a party. Boogie party. party. Yeah. Well, okay. Again, we're not on Norwich right now. That's the next one, Javier. <laughs> I'm bringing up that Southampton managed a nil-nil draw at Man City. No, Alex. What? Why would we even entertain this? Liverpool going to destroy them. I'm going to say three-nil. I'll say three-one. Armando Brogia. You're crazy, Alex. I'm not crazy. Liverpool they're not are not better than they're not unbeatable. Brighton. Just because your your like asses couldn't score like against them doesn't mean that someone else can't. Brighton scored two against them. We scored against them. It's not impossible to score. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll say right. I'll say three one Liverpool. Uh, speaking of Norwich, they're going to host Wolves Saturday at ten a.m. That's two straight home games for Dean Smith to start out his uh, tenure as the, the as the Canaries boss. Do you, you catch their game at all? Um, uh, or is it too early to start talking about no, them? No, but I as, but I did you know, say I, I I did say that you know this was the that game against Southampton was huge versus a fellow relegation candidate. If they were going to like turn it around to try to get they're, they're no longer season, bottom, they had to win that game. They're not. So I think they have some momentum here, and if they go and get a win against Wolves at home, who knows? Who knows? Like what this what this Norwich team could look like because they have some players coming back from injuries now, and you know they're getting healthy at the right time with their new coach, and you never know. I mean, Dean Smith had uh, he didn't he had Jack Grealish, so that he doesn't have a player like that on Norwich, but he's he made a great escape with Villa before, and. Well, he has he has players that can come in and improve the team. Like I I know we, it's almost becoming a joke at this point. Every time we mention Norwich, I mention how excited I am to see Billy Gilmore play for them. He hadn't played a game since like the second or third Premier League game of the season for Norwich, and he he came in. He had got man of the match against Southampton, but the biggest problem that like you, you kind of wonder like how was Farka there for so long was that. Farka was playing Matthias Norman, the Norwegian uh, midfielder, and was just refusing to play Billy Gilmore alongside him. It was like he thought, oh, I can't play Gilmore if I'm going to play Norman. And Norman has been amazing, probably their best player of this season. But just like the stubbornness to think like, oh, those two players can't play together. And then first game in, Dean Smith just says, all right, Billy Gilmore, Matthias Norman. And like, Norman, you go break up play and bomb forward with the ball. Billy, you keep possession and, and keep the ball moving so that were harder to press. It worked. It worked a treat. I know it's Southampton, but it's a good start for uh, for Dean Smith. And I think even if they did get relegated for some reason, he could go down and bring them right back up. Uh, he's got that much experience in the in the championship, so it's a good managerial hiring, and it definitely makes them, I think, more interesting to watch and more competitive. So that's another good one at 10 a.m. Uh, Brighton are going to host Leeds Saturday in the 12.30 p.m. kickoff. Not too many games on Saturday, but uh, I don't really have anything to say about that one, to be honest. It's two kind of underwhelming teams that uh, I'm kind of waiting for Leeds to start their season. So uh, this should be a game that they should be targeting, but I'm not uh, not going to hold my breath on that one. The Sunday slate will start at 9 a.m. with Brentford hosting Everton. Tottenham will be traveling to Burnley after Antonio Gante got his first win as Tottenham manager against Leeds last weekend. Any chance of a hiccup here? I, I think Tottenham should be 
very cautious about this one, especially since they have they have an away trip in yeah. the Europa Conference League at Mora in Slovenia also, on Thursday. Burnley, Burnley seem to be on, especially attacking wise, on on pretty good form right now. They have you know Chris Wood firing. I think Maxwell Cornet has four or five goals in the league. Scored a absolutely beautiful goal in that three three against Crystal Palace, and I mean Crystal Palace are no slouches right now. So, you know they took the Crystal Palace took the lead multiple times Twice. in that game, and Burnley came back every time. So, just I for me, I was impressed that Burnley were able to do that, even though they were at home. And it looks like Burnley have have found that attacking spark with in a player like Cornet and. It's keeping their their attack fresh right now, and as long as he can stay healthy, which he had a you know decent amount of injury problems in Lyon, I think they're gonna they're gonna have that X factor for these next few games, and yeah, I think they could give Tottenham problems. I mean, Tottenham did get their their that win against Leeds, but it was it was it was rough. I mean, in the second half for the last thirty minutes, they were you know they destroyed Leeds, but for the first sixty minutes of that game, especially in the first half. Leeds got a bunch of chances. You know, you always had to make a bunch of saves. They missed a bunch of chances. And Tottenham kind of just weathered the storm and then where it got got to the dressing room and then were able to like execute their game plan when they were after they were down 1-0. So, you know, impressive that they were able to get the the win and and Conte celebrated that like he'd won a Champions League final, so you could tell how much it mean, meant to him and it kind of set the tone for how how the energy is going to have to be from now moving forward. Not just from the, the the players, but from the fans as well. And, you know, he's trying to project that and be like, get something moving. And that, to me, that's scary because I saw what he what he did at Juventus. Yeah, I've seen what purpose. he does at Chelsea. Yeah. Oh, 100%. He's firing up the fans. He's firing up the players. He fucking he's dove to into the going. crowd on like right. an 89th minute winner in his right. first game as Chelsea manager. Like, it wasn't it wasn't to win the title, just the first game. He just dove into the crowd and hugged a bunch of fans and kissed a guy on, the, on his bald head. <laughs> like, the guy's absolutely box office. I mean, it it's still hurts to see him managing Tottenham. And, and, and the thing about it is, I mean, it's going to be a few weeks, maybe even a couple of months before we really get to see how, uh, you know, how his training comes into shapes this team. But... You know, you could already tell in that second half that that was some of the better football Tottenham have played this season, and Conte is going to affect this team in, in ways that we don't know. And I'm scared to see that. I don't want to see it, but it might be a little bit too early in this game. Um, but I think Tottenham might just squeak it out. So I'll say, uh, I'll say two one Tottenham. I'll say I'm two one Burnley. I'm kind of to say two two. Yeah, I'm kind of tempted to say two two actually. I'm saying two one Burnley. Okay. Why? They, they, I mean, I, I don't think. People are talking about them as relegation candidates as much now since their form has turned around, but I bet they still feel a bunch of teams down there at the bottom of the table breathing right down their neck. I, th- I think they're still in the relegation zone. I think they're in, in 18th. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely still threatened. So I think they'll they'll come out uh, firing, and especially on set pieces. It's, that's not going to be fixed overnight for Tottenham. Even Antonio Conte can't do that. So I'll stick to 2-1. Uh, Leicester are going to host Watford also during that Sunday 9 a.m. slate of games. Uh, don't have much to say about this one. Uh, Leicester were pretty dreadful from what I saw in the, the Chelsea 3-0 win against them. I went back and rewatched that, and maybe it was just Tielemans missing. Uh, but 
They had literally zero ability to progress the ball. Uh, if, if you don't mind, that Man City-West Ham game, the last one we'll talk about for this week, uh, that, that's going to be the the biggest of the Sunday 9 a.m. games. And obviously that primetime game on Sunday is Chelsea-Man United, which we already talked about. But Manchester City-West Ham is uh, you know, almost as high profile in terms of league position. West Ham are still right up there uh, in the hunt for the, the top four places. So am I wrong to have the mindset going into this game that West Ham usually play Manchester City pretty close. Like, I'm not saying they have a winning record recently against them or anything. You know, most teams don't have a winning record against Manchester City. But West Ham, to me, they just feel like a team that has the weapons to defend in a low block against City for a period. And then they know when the right time to pounce on a team like Manchester City is. So... I'm thinking like a I'm thinking like a two two. You with me? No. No. I mean, I just, for some reason, I always think that I kind of just always think that City destroy West Ham, even when they've had decent teams in the past. Away from home at West Ham, but I'm saying at the Etihad. Yeah. That's where City have had their hiccups this year: the loss to Palace, the loss to to or sorry, the draw with Southampton. I think the, the the loss to Palace, that's the kind of performance that West Ham would have to have against Manchester City for yeah, them Raheem to get a result. Yeah, but Sterling's back. So? De Bruyne they've isn't. Really He's still mi- on yeah, COVID they, list. No, I know, but they've really missed. Yeah, but they don't need De Bruyne. I mean, they just have an absolutely disgusting abundance of midfielders. Okay, they so don't they don't need, need any one of their midfielders. No, they. De- I think they need, like, Rodri right now, and I, they need... Oh, my God, did you see his... Gundogan. No, you like see Rodri's like really laser well right against Everton. I'm oh, sorry, Bernardo Silva. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, I'm saying, they do you were, see that goal that Rodri City scored against so Everton? They were so good against Everton. They were so good. Yeah, but again, Everton are crap right now. I don't think West Ham are crap. Like that that loss to Wolves ended a five game winning streak where they'd been beaten plenty of like they beat Liverpool. They just beat Liverpool before the international break. I'm not crazy. I no, know that I was know, at home, but, but I'm gonna. I, I just I don't know. I think that uh, for some reason it, it, it's these la- this la- especially that Wolves game. Who I think Wolves kind of got unlucky for it only to be one nil to them. They could have they could have gotten more. Um, Wolves played pretty well. I don't know if just West Ham just didn't have a, a good day at the office, but I don't know. I'm I'm gonna say two nil City. I think this is kind of an easy win for them. Well, Not easy. Okay. Like West Ham will make it hard at the beginning and work hard, but I think City just break them down and outwork them over time. I I don't think that Rice Suchek midfield can can keep up with the unbelievable form of Rodri and Bernardo Silva right now. Like they right, don't well, even we'll they see. Don't need I mean, you're the one who was saying Declan Rice is a, like a world class player now. I know, and and Raheem Sterling, man, I don't. He looked really good in that last game, and him coming back to form, it's the type of player that they've needed to, to get some goals and assists uh, to just re-kick that City attack back into into gear. So if it's not Phil Foden, if it's so, not Bernardo Silva. So I know you love, this is a random aside, but I know you love Takahiro Tomiyasu. I do. But if you got to replace him tomorrow with one of Xiao Cancelo, Reese James or Trent Alexander Arnold, which one would you take right now? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd probably take Reese James, but that's yeah, you're he's, goddamn right, you would. 
he's playing unbelievable right I now. I actually so. thought you were going to say Joao Cancelo, and I wouldn't have been mad no, at you for Cancelo's it. He's playing amazingly. or 28, so like you'd have him for a couple of years, but then okay, okay, like, well, if you got Reese James or Trent, you would But like simplify it to the degree time. of like who's playing the best right now. Like who would you think would be playing the best for you guys right now? I still think it's Reese James, but I, my, my point, Reece, but it would be my point is that Sarah. I wouldn't be mad at you if you said Joao Cancelo, he's playing that well and creating like a huge amount of chances and goals for Manchester City at the moment. So, uh, and people, people aren't talking about that, him as that much. That assist, no, that assist this last weekend was to Raheem, outside was of the foot. Obscene. Uh, like, how do you defend against that? That was just un- you don't. like un- unreal. unreal. You just don't. All right, so the your final prediction, 2-0 Manchester City. I'm going to stick with 2-2. West Ham going and uh, pulling off the what most people would think would be impossible. But uh, I, I believe in you, West Ham. I believe in you, Hammers. You can help City to drop points, and we can Chelsea can extend our lead at the top Alex, this weekend. Alex, you do weekend. this every week, but you jinx the team that you want like to have a result like that because you say stupid shit like this, and then they're just going to Yeah, but then I feel bad because... weeks like when Crystal Palace go there and Southampton go there, and we just don't talk about it at all. And we just go, yeah, City will win that one, and then they end up getting a great result. So, you know, you got you got to swing sometimes, Javier. And this is one that I think... Like if we can draw at home to Burnley, then Manchester City can draw another uh, game to West Ham. Yeah, but I still think I think City are similar to Liverpool in that when they're in a big game against big opposition and they're going to look at West Ham like that, they get up for those games and they they like elevate their game to another. I don't level. necessarily think they look at West Ham and think of them as big opposition. They have a game against PSG tomorrow at home that they are going to put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into. I mean, I'm just saying they might be a little uh, they might be a little fatigued by the time it comes to to West Ham on Sunday. So. Yeah, Manchester City's four squads. Yeah, let me dream, okay. Javier. He'll, let me dream. He's gonna play. He's gonna start Cole Palmer again this weekend and fuck I, them up. And let's end this thing. Yeah, we didn't have time to Cole talk Palmer. about the. Uh, we didn't have so a time good. to talk he's about the City so, clones so yet. Good. Jason McAteer and Cole Palmer if I had and all the other Cole David Palmers, Silva clones that they have. I would win the Champions League every year and the World Cup. Right. Yeah. Let's wrap things up there, Javier. Thanks for jumping on here. I tried to make it as easy as possible for you without, uh, you know, shitting on you too much for that that hiding you got at Anfield last weekend. But uh, you were a champ, and uh, I appreciate it. Uh, you can follow Javier on social media, well, on Twitter, at JaviRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at ASMoss92. You can follow the podcast socials on Twitter and Instagram, at GhostGoalPod. If you're listening on an app that allows you to rate and review the pod, we'd really appreciate it if you went ahead and left us a rating and review right now. Whatever you're doing, looking at your phone, just come out of that app you're on right now. Go back to the app that you're listening to this pod on. Leave a rating. Leave a review. We don't even care what it says. We don't even care if it's good, bad. You could rip us to shreds. I don't give a shit. If you leave one of those, it will help new listeners find the pod and help us grow this thing. So we all want that. Thanks for listening to the Ghost Call Pod, guys. Have a happy Thanksgiving and a safe Thanksgiving. And until next time, Thorium.